0: Closing my door.
1: Hi, I'm George Tekmichov here with Steve the... Big cat. ...Anderson for another Easton Target Archery Podcast. Hey, Steve, been a while. How you been, man?
0: Been fine. How about you?
1: Oh, hanging in there. You know, saw you in Vegas, and I think that's the last time I got to see you because we've both been busy. You've been traveling, huh?
0: Yeah, I've been traveling.
1: Did you see that your wife is the number one story at World Archery right now?
0: I did not. um,
1: So they did. Like
0: you didn't tell me that like three minutes ago. They did a feature. (laughs) No, I did not.
1: That's too much inside baseball. No, they did a feature on on Linda uh, acclimating to Team USA after changing national teams. It's written by uh, by Jeff from World Archery, who's in China, but is an American, and is a darn good sports writer.
0: Huh, Jeff Kirschman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's quite a good writer. I like his, his material. I think he does a good job.
0: Don't know him. I have to get to know him.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to meet him anytime soon, given where he's at. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a fact.
1: Yeah, it is. But archery is back, and we had a World Cup last week, which was a big success by all accounts. Looks like it uh, generated a few surprises
0: um yes yeah there was some upsets some regulars it it was a typical world cup yeah besides about half the participants being there
1: yeah still pretty good turnout considering guatemala city uh maybe not the easiest place to get to but it had a good turnout lots of countries showed up for it and uh we had some stars there, people like Brady, who did spectacularly in the uh, qualifier, but then not so well. I think he went out in the quarterfinals.
0: Uh, he, he went out, yeah. I think earlier than that, I think it was his first match. But
1: yeah, his his first match against a guy who had uh, had to win a match. Brady had a bye, of course, with his position. And, uh, man, you know, I'll tell you, I, I really think, even though it's on a separate day, I really think winning that match gives you a leg up. Because when you have that bye and you're coming in, it's your first match. It's your first real match. I think it's tough.
0: Yeah. The nature of the nature of recurve in the set system is that the best archer doesn't have a chance to recover from a poor start. Right. Right. So, yeah, you go out and you know, you could go shoot 29, 29, 29, pretty good by everyone's standards. And the other guy just has a, a hot day, shoots a 90 and puts you away. Now, let's, so, let's
1: look at this objectively. Uh, Gies Brooksma, uh, and forgive me for getting that pronunciation wrong, I'm sure from Netherlands, is one of the
0: Guy uh, new- Guy, yep,
1: Broxma Broxma. Anyway, uh, one of the the first
0: time I've ever corrected you on pronunciation on anything.
1: I doubt it'll be the last.
0: Usually you're really on top of stuff.
1: Well, you were already able to pronounce the name of Linda's hometown in Mexico.
0: Oh, you're slipping.
1: So that's two in one day. (laughs) Slipping. Well, I'm just saying I'm not, you know, we can't all stay on top of our game all the time. But, uh, you know, Brady had some good things to say um, in spite of not having, uh, you know, as WA called it, not the best start to his career, uh, best best result of his career to open a season. He started out really well, fourth 690-plus qualification score ever for him on the uh, World Cup circuit.
0: Yeah, he was like 20 points ahead of everybody in qualification. Yeah.
1: But Guy from Netherlands is one of those up-and-coming guys and um, has a lot of potential I think you know the Netherlands team has has been super solid on the men's side at least and certainly coming up there on the women's side as well so
0: yeah Gee gets to shoot against some pretty good shooters there in the Dutch training center so. so you know he's not uh afraid to go up against a guy like Brady like maybe some others might be
1: yeah you know and and you know it's not Brady's last shot at making it to the finals of the World Cup he's got other chances Lausanne Next week is the next World Cup stage. Paris, the uh, the big one from the standpoint of the final qualifying tournament for the Olympic Games. Uh, and then he's also got an opportunity on um, ranking points. You know, even if he doesn't win a World Cup going forward, he could still rack up enough ranking points. He only got one point from Guatemala. But then if he wins the Olympic Games in Tokyo, that would be an automatic in as well. So...
0: Or is the hope well, Well, yeah, we haven't talked about it. As
1: a matter of fact, yes, let's just get right to it, even though it's uh, out of sequence for the timelines that we wanted to talk about. The big news this week from World Archery is the Yankton Archery Hub, because that's where all of archery is going to culminate at the end of the season. We have- Yankton
0: is the spawn of archery tournaments now.
1: Listen, Bruce and his team get it done when others haven't been able to as much. And yep. you have to give them credit. I mean, it's Bruce and Brittany and the rest of the staff at the NFAA Easton-Yankton Archery Center are, are consistently, you know, in the forefront of getting competitions done. And yep. I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's one reason why WA has so much confidence in their ability to put on not just the world championships this year, not just the Archery World Congress, which is a big event this year, but now it's just been announced, Yankton, after the World Championship, will be the location for the World Cup Final, which is something we've known for a while, but hasn't been uh, made public until now. So I think that that is a, uh, another notch on the post for those guys, and uh, it'll be a, another big event for what will be a big week of archery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It uh, makes sense to start coordinating some of the events like this uh, together just because budgets are going to get crunched and
1: it's it's easier to travel. Exactly, exactly. It's just going to be so much easier for so many people because they, first off, they'll have had the experience of having been there for the uh, world championship and then, you know, they'll be able to really have a good experience for the world cup finals. So, um, and the weather is generally pretty good that time of year in Yankton as well. Not as warm as it can be in the summertime. So I think it it's it? in September.
0: Yeah, it's a good time of year. Sometimes it's just perfect. Uh, sometimes it's very windy. I'm sure over a week they're going to have some great days and some windy days.
1: Yeah, but we've had a few windy World Cups, you know, in the past. Of course, uh, you know, Turkey is famous for its breezy World Cups. And of course, uh, you know, we had a world championship a few years back in uh, in Copenhagen that was quite windy. And so yeah. Yeah, it's become part of the game. That's why people shoot X10 arrows and small diameter stabilizers.
0: Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are. Generally, the wind is blowing.
1: Yep. And if you think of it as your friend, it can actually be a good ally. If you, if you try to fight it, it can be tough. So, hey, you just got back from uh, Reading. And that's a big tournament for uh, international people as well as Americans. And we had a good international turnout for Reading.
0: How'd it go? well for some people.
1: Yeah, it certainly went well for Chris Perkins of Canada, who uh, shot off against Domagotch Budin, the defending champion from last year.
0: Mm-hmm. And at
1: the end of the deal, uh, how'd it go?
0: So yeah, Chris won, Dom Booten was second, and then rounding out an international podium was Stefan Hansen third, all shooting X-10s or X-10 Pro Tours. Uh, pretty cool, you know, to, to see, see that. There's definitely, I'm trying to think back on the history of Reading. I think, I know Chris has won it once before, and I think he's the only international winner.
1: Yeah, so that, that's I could a could be first. wrong on
0: that, but I don't think I am. Well,
1: Domagotch, of course, you know, the previous. Oh,
0: yeah, him and Dom, yeah, Dom, uh, two years ago when we last had Reading, was the winner as well.
1: So, yeah, no American has won Reading in the last two years. And um, I suppose that that's just a reflection of the fact that it's become really popular on the international circuit and you're getting good turnout for it from other countries.
0: Yeah, guys are coming across and. Playing the game, it was certainly different this year with only about half the uh, participants due to a limited registration. But a lot
1: of guys were still there.
0: Yeah, well, all actually,
1: yeah. Jesse wasn't there if I'm not mistaken.
0: Craig, Jesse, you know, Mike has been competitive there in the last few years, so there there are a few guys missing. But um, by and large, the the pro class was pretty close to what it normally is. You know, I think the last couple of years, Sergio has shot it. Um, And he's not
1: traveling right now.
0: Sebastian and PJ have shot it. So.
1: What was your impression, Steve, of the um, preparedness of the shooters from the standpoint of getting back into competition? Now, some of these guys have already been at other events, but some, this was their first big event of the year. Was everybody real eager to get back into it, do you think?
0: Yeah, most everyone's ready to rock and, and shooting good again. If you looked at first two days of scores they were as good as they've ever been and then we got hit with pretty pretty tough wind on the last day which really brought the overall scores down um otherwise i you know i wouldn't have been, i wouldn't have been surprised if we had another winner at one down two down uh, you know or a log jam at three down which you know the, yeah if you, if you know Reading, that that would make sense but um so pretty, pretty tough that last day to, to score well for anybody, especially guys who are in the wrong part of the course.
1: In the case of uh, yourself, we talked about this a, a while back. Getting ready for a completely different style of event is something you have to turn around pretty quickly in this current cycle. Because uh, you know, it's like, OK, we had a few drips and drabs over the past few months of events. Now it's a fire hose. And your next event is in Florida this weekend. Any changes? What are you doing equipment wise to get ready to change from Reading, which is a field shoot with, you know, beyond target distances to the 50 meter round that you're going to shoot in Florida.
0: Um, I'm not doing anything different. So shoot the same bow, same arrows. I will uh, go from a dot with a, fiber through it to just a straight black dot but that's it uh nothing else otherwise
1: yeah same arrows same stabilizer same bow everything yep um in the case of the wind did you see any release aid stuff going on that might have uh favored the people who tend to give a command release or a punch
0: i didn't see any of the punchers you know people changing to the punch i know it's been uh hotly discussed people are very excited about punching and things of that nature but no i didn't really see i'm in vogue
1: after after kyle
0: (laughs) yeah definitely Uh, punches really hard yeah
1: the old fish hook yeah the old bass on the line big puncher is it your impression um i mean we first saw deep back in 2007 uh in really heavy wind, succeed with that method. Is there a place for it?
0: Sure. I mean, someone can get good at it and not let the anticipation problems creep in on them, which so far no one has proven that they can avoid getting a massive case of target panic eventually. Long term. Um, Yeah. I mean, I watched one person go from very prominent in the world stage winning a lot of tournaments to uh having serious mental health issues due to a punching issue so it's not it's not something i would ever recommend or teach you know yeah you we actually, to do that go ahead know
1: a couple of shooters who've retired from the sport because of that exact issue
0: my thought is if you are putting forth the honest effort to be a good shooter doing it the way that is taught by the book Right, shooting a well-executed shot, either thumb trigger with a pulled-through surprise release or a, a hinge release shot properly. If you've been doing all that and you're just not getting anywhere with it, and you're like, well, you know what, I'm going to quit archery. If I'm if I'm not I'm not getting better, I'm not any good. I'm going to quit archery. Go ahead and try punching it for a little while. <laughs> see see where that gets you. You know, you might as well. It's uh to me, it's it's. It is a short-term gain, but not a long-term strategy. We'll ahead. see. Someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do it forever and do it well.
1: Hasn't happened yet, though. Not not in not in terms of a long-term solution. No. But there may be somebody wired differently. It may happen.
0: Well, you got a guy like like Kyle could pick up a hinge and shoot it today and be fine. He'd shoot pretty good. So. You know, if you can do that, then that's one thing. Kyle was pretty good at archery before he decided to start punching. He made the Vegas shoot off a couple times times um, amongst other things. So, you know, he's different than most.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And like you said, you know, I mean, it may be something that's cyclic. Some people may need to cycle back to a regular hinge, you know, after a period of doing the other way and vice versa. Headed to Gator Cup. Um, You mentioned that you're going to keep the same equipment and stuff. Sometimes Gator Cup can be pretty windy. Any expectations for uh, for this weekend?
0: Um, No, I have no expectations. I just want to get it over with. We've been on the road for five weeks straight now. I just want to shoot and be home for a little while so I can, you know, pull weeds and stuff.
1: Yeah. Linda, of course, was uh, was down in Guatemala. And um, she's headed to LaSanne, Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Yep. She'll mm-hmm. go to Lasan. So, like, I get a weekend off. Well, I actually get like a month off or so before I go anywhere else. Um. She will have four days, and then she goes to Lasan. So there yeah the the people on the us archery team shooting the world cup stuff they're about 10 weeks in a row some of them depending on what events they're going to do yeah so it's like everyone decided to cram everything in at the same time And i'm looking at the schedule seeing some gaps in the schedule and you know it's I, i don't know i don't do the logistical planning i don't decide when events are but It's, uh, it's tough to do that to people, put them on the road that long.
1: Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, You'll recall that, you know, we, we said this was going to be, you know, opening the spigot full blast and here we are, you know, we're in the situation right now. Um, There have been a few people who had some trouble with travel because of the uh, COVID restrictions. So a couple of guys got um, PCR tested on their way to Guatemala and weren't able to go um as a result uh, yeah
0: or like andrea marcos she uh she I'm said sorry. her announcement she had a positive test the next day had a negative test but it was too late she couldn't go so you know that says a lot about the reliability of some of these tests we're gonna have people testing positive forever so long as we have people taking tests whether they are or not um But that kind of thing you gotta plan for, right? You gotta plan for what you're gonna see now is archers who, if they have to have a test to go somewhere, they're gonna get three of them. You know, they're gonna go to one place and get one, go to another place, get another, go to another place and get another.
1: Yeah, that might be the best choice.
0: I mean, it's I'm just gonna say we've been having archery tournaments here in the US for three months now, and I haven't heard of a single person getting sick from it. So
1: So Steve, you know, we don't we don't talk about Easton stuff very much on the podcast, but we've gotten a lot of questions from people about the stabilizer line that Easton sells. And so I thought maybe this would be a good time to switch topics and talk about that a little bit. You know, um, if you look at a little bit of history, Easton has been at the forefront of stabilizers for 50, actually 60 years. Uh, Earl Hoyt had actually patented target stabilizer back in the day and easton was actually his supplier for the uh for the materials and then easton started its own stabilizer line in the late 1960s um through the 1980s easton aluminum stabilizers were pretty much the world standard and then the one
0: that had it was like tapered and looked like it had an egg on the end
1: yeah very much so it was the easton x7 world-class stabilizer and it was a tapered Quite frankly, it was a golf shaft that was repurposed, but <laughs> it was uh it was really a, you know, for the for the time, um, it was what just about everybody used. We introduced a line of AC stabilizers in 1987, and that was also a tapered stabilizer um, that was originally designed to be a cross-country high performance Olympic ski pole and it was slightly redesigned and turned into the original tapered Easton AC stabilizer. And then the parallel Easton stabilizers came out in 88, the uh, full line of stabilizers in different stiffnesses, high modulus and medium intermediate modulus materials. So you had the high resonance stabilizer and the ultra high resonance stabilizer and uh, that was pretty much the case all the way through the '90s, and then finally, uh, new stabilizers were developed by Easton, starting in the uh, nineteen uh, in the early aughts, as it were. Um, the AC X10 stabilizer was one of the early models that was uh, that was built. Um, that large diameter X10 stabilizer, which gave way to a Redesigned X10 stabilizer about 10 years later. Um, today, Easton has a full line of stabilizers that are pretty popular out there. But there's been some questions that kind of show us that maybe people don't understand the full stabilizer line or where each product kind of fits in the product line. So I thought this would be a good opportunity.
0: There seem to be a lot of new new archers coming in this yeah. year as well. So
1: Yeah, yeah. So this year, you introduced a new a new product, the Z-Comp, uh, which is a kind of a medium flex stabilizer. Comes in two lengths for the long rods and two lengths for the side rods, so it's simple. Um, I've always thought the Z-Comp was something suited to people who wanted a little more feedback from their system or were shooting either lighter weight bows or lighter weight stacks. What do you think?
0: Um. Both of those, as well as being very, very attractively priced.
1: For sure. And, you know, cosmetically, it fits in with uh, just about everything.
0: Yeah, it uh, it's a good looking, very good looking stabilizer. There was, you know, we've done countless stabilizers throughout the years. And uh, sometimes we get a little wild on the graphics or the paint scheme and all that. And and The ones that most people seem to prefer are the ones that have a nice professional looking black finish, kind of the standard of of the stabilizer bar. So it it has a a very nice finish, basically the same paint and finish process as we'd have on our extremely high-end Halcyon or Contour stabilizers and looks good, performs really well for the price. Yeah, like you said, if you're not shooting a ton of weight, it's a great bar for you. you know i think the only one there's advantages to going up to the the better bars obviously but you you certainly you aren't necessarily going to see those advantages from a stiffness standpoint if you're not shooting a lot of weight it would just be more of the diameter of the the high-end bars they're just smaller diameter which helps um but for someone who is say getting a kid started or they're an intermediate beginner level Archer um, Z comps pretty tough to beat at the price point that it's going to be at.
1: Now for more competitive shooters, um, something like a Z flex is available and the Z flex has a great track record, uh, especially with compound shooters. Yeah. Uh, Z
0: flex is the stiffest stabilizer in the lineup. I actually want to revisit it because I shot it for years. Um, I think I'm going to probably start shooting it again indoors just because it's extremely stiff. And that helps when it helps when you're starting to have a little bit of a shake, the stiffer the bar, the less you'll see that resonance shake uh, into back into your sight picture into your body. So I do want to go back and try that one again, but it's pretty much been supplanted by the Halcyon over the last year or so.
1: Yeah, we'll get to the Halcyon, but in between the Z-Flex and the Halcyon, there's a couple of other offerings. The Contour, uh, which is still available, of course, uh, very popular with recurve shooters and some compound shooters. Contour is a, if if you had a scale of one to four, with one being less stiff and four being real stiff, a Contour is around a three and a half, let's say. And it has a lot of the advantages of the Halcyon, in that it has a very slim front section but it has a larger diameter at the base which kind of breaks up the vibration a lot of people really like the feel of the
0: contour yeah yeah especially those shooting recurve just because they have a little bit different uh frequency on the shot than a compound it seems okay. to be very popular amongst the recurves
1: it's also super lightweight which is uh, another desirable attribute for for recurve shooters especially Uh, After we brought out the contour, the Contour CS was introduced. And when we introduced the Contour CS, basically what we wanted was the stiffest possible version of a contour. And that's what the Contour CS is. It is a stiffer graphite fiber version of a contour. And that has proven to be more popular with compound shooters, although a lot of recurve, uh, some top recurve shooters also choose that particular part. It's also super lightweight.
0: Yes, that, one, that one's kind of becoming the standard for those who want the contour type bar. Not a ton of people are shooting the, the regular contour anymore. They're going more to the contour CS just because it's that little bit of extra stiffness that everyone seems to be wanting these days.
1: Yeah. And then at the top of the line, you've got the Halcyon, which you've enhanced this year. The Halcyon, of course, is the smallest diameter we've ever made from the standpoint of its diameter to stiffness ratio, and... Um, it's, you know, about a 3.8 on a scale of four, 3.9 on a scale of four. And it's, uh, maybe the choice right now. It seems to be the hotness guys like Stefan Hansen are
0: using it. Yes, it, it is the hotness looks good functions. Well, feels good. Uh, very, very high modulus carbon. And let me just, I'm trying to pull up some, some specs here on that, just so I can. Speak to it exactly, but if you look at say a thirty-inch uh, Halcyon versus a thirty-inch Contour CS, Contour CS weighs in at four point three ounces, one hundred twenty-two grams, and the Halcyon weighs in at four point seven ounces, one hundred thirty-three grams. So a little bit more. They're they're virtually the same diameter on the distal end, but the Halcyon maintains that diameter di- diameter all the way to the the bow obviously yeah
1: 14.7 millimeters and that puts it right there in the wind cheating column
0: yeah and i asked them i said just let's throw another wrap or so on that thing and and get it a little bit stiffer yes we will weigh a little bit more i actually want them to have it weigh about another ounce heavier but uh just seemed like that was not needed but i yeah i was i was asking for a pretty heavy wrap of carbon on there just to Get it really stiff, but we found diminishing returns with that. So, uh, pretty happy with how it turned out. The the key to the halcyon stabilizer, I truly believe, is the actual bushing that on the side that attaches to the bow. It's a long sleeve rather than just a little one or two inch sleeve or internal bushing. It's actually about a five inch um, oversleeve. That really helps with the reaction off the bow as well.
1: Yeah, while maintaining that wind-cheating profile, it really works well from that particular standpoint. And uh, also popular with recurve shooters, too. Yeah. Uh, Again, for the same reasons, uh, has a great feel. And, uh, you know, for a stiff stabilizer to have a good feel is a bit of a trick. Uh, You can make a stabilizer really stiff, but it'll give you some feedback that you might not like. Halcyon kind of has a sweet feel.
0: Yeah, a very stiff stabilizer will – it'll often affect shooters who – it, I think it's golfer's elbow I think is what it is um it
1: can be just,
0: yeah you start to get a little bit of that that feeling in the elbow a little tenderness uh my wife's one of those who she gets that pretty bad and um you know she was shooting a, a bee stinger stabilizer and had it the worst which the doinkers and it all got better doinkers were a much more dampened bar than were the old stiff bee stingers um and then she went to these halcyons, kind of found the nice in-between of, of both those and hasn't caused her elbows any issue and all is good.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's the real, the real technical aspect of this is not to just look at the actual specific stiffness, but the resonance frequencies matter as well. And um, <clears throat> what Easton has done is basically designed in a set of parameters that provide for damping some of those harmful vibrations and damping some of that stuff that can also rattle parts loose on your bow. Um, So it's, there's more to it than just more stiff and less stiff. There's an engineered stiffness to these things that really changes the vibration feedback you get from the bow without robbing you of the sense of, was that a good shot versus one that maybe wasn't so good? You want that feedback still there, but you don't want the, you don't want to throw a lot of rubber dampers on your stabilizer because sometimes those will kind of rob you of that feedback. So if you can get by with minimum amount of damping, you're better off. And Correct. that's what these provide. So, uh, you know, along with that, you've got a whole series of uh, well-engineered V-bars and side rod adapters and quick detach mounts and uh, weight systems. Everything's integrated. So um, all of these stabilizers can work with any of the Easton weights and most other aftermarket weights, uh, whether they're quarter twenty or five twenty-four, because there's still a uh 516-24 to quarter twenty adapter included with all the uh all the stabilizers. And that that's a big uh benefit if you don't want to have to buy new weights once you've changed stabilizers.
0: Correct. Yeah, if it were me, I'd definitely roll with one of the the uh, weights that's designed to use the 516s 24, they just seem to lock up stronger and all seems to be better with those.
1: Yeah, for sure. But there's still a, a big population of people out there with legacy weights. And so, you know, you, kind of the philosophy was don't force people to have to buy, you know, have to spend a lot of money to buy extra weights when they've already. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, I'd say in the in the compound game probably about six seven years ago the stabilizer wars were really at their heaviest and people were buying at the time it was it was bee or doinker or you know a few of these other brands that popped up and they they spent a lot of money on weights <laughs> at that time those those one ounce discs were you know you if you were putting a ton of weight on the bow like a lot of guys do you're you're looking at three hundred dollars plus plus in weights and it's good to be able to use whatever you've already got.
1: Yeah, you don't want to have to spend twice, you know, or even more for a stabilizer weight system than you spent for the stabilizer. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of yeah. a bummer. You see a guy like Rio out there with, uh, you know, something like 24 or 25 of those things on each rod. You can imagine that adds up.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, he's using a, he's using a, a tungsten weight now, which I don't even want to know how much those are.
1: No, but he probably doesn't have to pay for them either. <laughs>
0: Definitely not.
1: But yeah, you know the thing about the tungsten weights, which we saw a few of uh, in use at the uh, World Cup in Guatemala. Uh, it looks like the shooter's using less weight, but it turns out that uh, your buddy, um, your buddy Chris Schaaf from Montana, was using tungsten weights in Guatemala, and it looked like he was using a really light weight stack. You yeah. Know, uh, it kind of gave the announcers a bit of a pause because they're looking at the weight stack of a Mikey Schlusser, who's still using standard weights, but a big weight stack. And they're looking at Chris and um, it, you know, you can't just tell by looking anymore.
0: And it's very important to comment on someone's weight stack. That's number one. You got hey, to compare you, everyone's weight stack.
1: They didn't have a ton of material to work with. So, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the mark of an archer. Whoever has the heaviest stabilizer weights is the winner. At least that's what some people seem to think.
1: Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, is it is it stabilized? <laughs> has the has the has the uh, stabilizer war kind of stabilized a little bit from the standpoint of because it it honestly I mean we saw a couple of people out there with thirty six ounces of weight on their boat. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're still going to see people with a lot of it. I, I think it depends on what type of archery you shoot. You know, if you're and what type of how you shoot the bow and how you pull into the wall. You know, I, I would be willing to bet if people have 22 pounds of holding weight. Oh, well, that'd probably be a lot. Let's say people have 19 pounds of holding weight and they're probably pulling into the wall at like 21 pounds, maybe. You, know, you get a guy like Mike Schlosser who's got 24 pounds of holding weight, and he's probably pulling into the wall at about 33 pounds, so he can afford to have that really heavy front stabilizer because so he's offsetting it with rear tension. Um, it, so it, it depends. I, I don't copy what someone else did. You know, I've seen so many people go. They they like to like Stefan shows me all the time. People message him and ask him how many stabilizer weights he has on, and he makes up. He'll say like 82 or 67 or just make up a number people really like they think wow this guy's so good at archery maybe it's because he's got a lot of stabilizer weights i'll try that it's like well it's it's him working it with his setup but it doesn't necessarily mean that's why he's good or whatever so i don't i think you gotta you gotta try your own thing no one's setup's gonna work for you no formula there's there's not a formula that that works if you you know it's a place to start at best but it's you don't have to adhere to it
1: yeah we've seen we've seen formulas involving bow weight we've seen formulas involving draw length and at the end of the day if you take a look at the top shooters they're all different if the formula were gospel you would see some unanimity among those top shooters but you're not
0: no it's it's usually nowhere near the formula that we were introduced to 10 years ago.
1: And I think that that is a real underscore to the point you made. And that is everybody's different. You need to experiment to find what works best for you. And even over time, you may find that that changes depending on some other factors like speed of your release, magnification of your scope. Yeah. what kind of a what kind of sight picture you really want to hold are you comfortable with a certain amount of float how much the wind moves you and how long yeah. you get your bow back in the middle before your release goes off things like that have to be considered
0: Well and there's other things to know before you go making adjustments you need to know what is causing something to look the way it does through your sight picture is it draw length short draw length long too much front stabilizer weight not enough front stabilizer weight? Is the bow wanted to react a certain way because you've got too much weight on the back bar or not enough weight on the back bar? You know, you have to first thing first is make sure your draw length is is good, and from there start adjusting stabilizer weights. How do you know if your draw length's good? That can be tough to uh, that can be tough to pinpoint, but it's not the same for everybody. What I always find is if my aim is very jittery, my draw length is probably short. If my aim is very Uh, big and slow, my draw length is probably long. If I have a tendency to wanna fall out the bottom, my draw length is probably long. And there's a difference between falling out the bottom and holding low because you have massive anticipation issue. Um, So knowing where to get those things first by getting draw length correct and then working your stabilizers, that's the key. But its I can teach the concepts but it doesn't apply the same to everybody.
1: Right. Another consideration is if you switch up bows, say you go from one model to another, Yeah. mass balance is going to change something and it could change. It could affect how the walls feel, how it could affect how you aim and interface with your stabilization and your timing on your release and all of these factors come into play. So it's, it's all custom solutions in spite of the fact that people look to try to emulate other people. You can't really emulate other people on this. You really do have to find out what works best for the individual.
0: That's the truth. Yep. Whoa.
1: Guess who's calling? It's Jay Bars.
0: Jay Bars.
1: Jay Bars. Uh, I'm in the middle of recording a podcast with Steve Anderson as we speak. So I'm going to call you back in a minute. Hold on, though. Hold on.
0: Hold this on. First you caller? on,
1: man. No, here he is. This
0: is our first podcast caller.
1: Yeah. It's our first podcast caller. It's Jay Bars.
0: Hi, longtime listener, first time caller. How are things going there?
1: Good. You're getting on an airplane, right?
0: Yeah, I'm headed down the Gator Cup to do a little coaching.
1: Well, that's just what we were talking with Steve Anderson about a few minutes ago. So uh you're you're off to coach at the at the Gator Cup.
0: Yeah, those who can no longer do coach.
1: Uh, (laughs) so our unanticipated special guest jay bars uh what's your advice for your shooters jay when uh, when they get on the line down there don't miss all right jay i'll call you back i'll call you (laughs) back in two minutes that's uh that's jay bars headed off to to coach although it's surprising how well he can still do he's uh being a little self-effacing there
0: yeah, he does it just fine still.
1: Yep. Well, Steve, I think uh I think we got a lot out of this from the standpoint of some uh pretty good inside baseball on what it really takes to get an individual set up for stabilizers. Thanks for that, man.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Hey, I've got something exciting. You know, we've done 129 podcasts and never do we actually close out the show. But I have a I have a Going forward, something new on the next podcast that will provide people with a definitive show closeout.
0: Why do we want to do that? That was it right there. That's where we're stopping. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>